Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night shir. Dedicated as each week, Lilunishmas Eliza Shlamis. Should be a good to better for all of us, children, husbands. She's exemplified actually in this week's Pasha. Oops, I lost somebody. I will lose him. Exemplified in this week's Pasha in that The life of Sarah. Torah tells us of the life of Sarah. Why is the passing of the Sarah of Sarah mentioned here after Akedas Yitzchak? Rashi. One that explains for the Mechamash and Mikra goes out on a limb. And he tells the Mechamash and Mikra a story. Totally untraditional, totally out of character. For Rashi to explain this way. Rashi explains. A simple explanation of the Taylor. Here Rashi comes and tells the the Bahamish Mikra story. The Sutton was very frustrated. Avramavina was given ten tests. Each one he passed with flying colours. Mm-hmm. It was now time for the tenth test. The tenth test. Avramavino was told by God the tenth test. Avramavin was told by God, take the son, the one that you love, the one that you adore, and bring him as a sacrifice. And Avramavino took him took the 37-year-old Yitzchak and marched together with him to Haram Maria and was prepared to sacrifice her son, his son. Sarah was unaware. Avram did not exactly tell her 
Um, Yitzchak and I are going on a road trip, and I'll probably come back alone. Because let's be very practical. How many mothers would hear their husbands utter these words, I'm going to take our son for and bring him up on his altar and sacrifice him. How many Jewish mothers, or any mothers, would say, sure, darling, have fun. Be well, my son, bye. Nice knowing you. Let's be practically here. No Jewish mother is turning around and saying goodbye. In that case, Sarah was unaware of Avram Vidu's action. By Yashkim Avram Babeka, the Torah tells us he woke up very early. He, do- he saddled his own donkey. How awkward was it when Sarah came about for breakfast find her husband and son missing. And she started walking around, looking around for them. And the Sultan, who saw that Avram Avino took Yitzchak and he was going through with it. He took Yitzchak and this is really going to happen. He took Yitzchak and was going to do and pass again the tenth of the tests with the flying colors. <coughs> so Sutton comes to Sarah and he asks her, says Rashi, Hey, where is your husband and son? She doesn't know. She says, Well, your husband took your son to a mountain and he slaughtered him. Now, as soon as she heard these words, and according to some Medrashim, he stretched her neck so she could see to the mountain. As soon as she heard these words, before he could say, almost, Rashi says, she passed away. Hence, the mention of the passing of Sarah, right after the Kedah of Yitzchak. Why? Did she pass away? Because, obviously, hearing her son died, and not realizing, or not waiting to hear the word almost, 
So this took her neshama out. But truth is, if that were the case, why would Rashi mention the word almost? The word almost would be superfluous if it doesn't add to the explanation of the Tvasik. Why would Rashi bother mentioning it? To which the Rebbe explains that no, she did hear the word almost. The Sultan said, Abraham shechted Yitzchak almost. He said, the Rebbeinu Shalaylam, the Abishta said, take Yitzchak and bring him as a carbon. And Avraham brought him, but didn't do it. Avraham brought him and didn't do it because he stopped in the middle. Over this, over the fact that her son was not fit to be brought as a carbon. Her son, Hashem would not accept as a sacrifice. This she could not take. She couldn't take this. And the grief caused Parachanish Masa. The grief caused her, Nishama, to leave her. Because her son, whom she raised, her blood, sweat, and tears, was not fit to be a carbon for Hashem. Very dramatic story. It's like suicide. Why suicide? Hashem flew out from grief. Nothing to do with suicide. She didn't look to hurt herself. She just couldn't take the pain. She had a heart attack. She had a massive heart. Went to cardiac arrest. But yeah, the person's cardiac arrest is not considered suicide. But the Basic tells us, you You drop it? Yeah. You dropped it. Is the life of Sarah? That's enough. No more. Oh. <laughs> Meya Shana, Vesem Shana, Vesheva Shana. Enumerates. Rashi says, Why say 100 years, 20 years, 7 years? She doesn't want because one more. They were all good years. They were equally good, all hundred and twenty-seven years. 
Rashi goes a little further on the limb and says how her beauty was unsurpassed, like she wasn't seven years old, etc. The bottom line, Rashi goes out on the limb to say, all her years were equally good. very very strange equally good Sarah's life let's let's do a little bit of recap obviously the tailor does not give us word for word her entire biography but we do get some of the story 127 good years she had I mean let's get real You can't compare her situation that she had in Ur Kazdim, in Kharon. Her situation after she came to the Oretz Hashanah the land that God showed Avram. She ended up in Beisparai, Navi Melech's house. She was tortured. I mean, they wanted to marry her. It was, it was humiliating, embarrassing. Never mind the fear factor. She wasn't petrified. 127 good years? What were you doing? Nice. Tells us the Tata that in honesty, Rashi did not Rashi flawless. Rashi does not make a mistake. Rashi makes a proper assumption, he's correct in his assumption. She had 127 good years. Where does this come into into play? What was the 20, 127 years? What was she doing in this world? Her neshama was in her goof. Her neshama was in her body. And she was a very righteous woman. She was a tzaddikis. And the true life of tzaddikim is what they live in the neshama. They are the service that they do for God. Al-Tareb writes in the Geras HaKedish, which is around now that we're reading it in in Tanya, in Chitas, Chayat Tzadik Einem Chayim Kshem Kim Chayim Ruchnim. The life of Tzadikim is not a physical life, but a spiritual one. That's what they live on. That's what they exist on. So Chayat Sara, when it says the life of Sara, the explanation is, of course, her life, what was her life? Her life was the life of Teda and Mitzvahs. 
And this was equally good every day of her life. Huh? I heard something that Abraham was he was bought to the age of forty eight. Uh-uh. Avram? Yeah. Age of three. Some people are saying that if you add, if you take 175 minus 148 equals to 127, because Sarah said, Avram was in Avram was in Avram was in Avram was in I know that. Alright. But the Pasuk says, Eikim Hashem It's a Pasuk. It's a quote from God. And therefore, anything that she was subjected to in a physical life, this does not affect her neshama. Since it did not affect her neshama, it did not affect her soul, so therefore she was, it was good, and it was beautiful, and it was exactly what she wanted to have. So therefore we refer to the spiritual life of Sarah, and the 127 years, throughout her 127 years, they were all good. This is distress by you Sara. It doesn't say you may Sara the days or the years, but the life of Sara. Because although her days or years there might have been some hardships, this only reflects reflects on the body, on the spiritual body, on the physical body. But her spirituality, her chaye, which is, comes from the neshama, this was equally good throughout her 127 years. We go through the Pasha, the beginning of the Pasha still, and we discuss the sale, Maras Machpela, which is a proper sale, and thereby telling us that Maras Machpela, Chevroin, all belong to Avram Avinu, belong to us as his inheritance, as his heirs, and nobody can lay any kind of rights to it. Nobody else has any rights to it, although we have to battle on a daily basis to re- to gain access to our Samachpela. Even the Kevi Yitzhak is only once a year, twice a year that they open, they allow us to go see it. But in the general basis, they don't allow us at all in the Gemara Samachpela. Basically, we have to get permission practically to go into in Hebron, what the Jews are subjected to there, or subjected to worldwide in that regard as well. Avram made sure to pay top dollar. Ephraim says, the truth is, I don't care. And we spoke about this already in past Urim. I don't care how much you pay me. My main thing, subjective is, as Meishok Ver, 
bury dead Jews. I don't care how much you're going to pay for it. I don't care how much money I make. I do love money. Excuse me. It has a great value to me. But that's not the main focus. My main focus is bury Jews. Let the Jews die, Rahman and let's bury them. He says, it's He throws out a random number. She said already also. He says, 400 shekel. Yeah, you want to pay already, Avram? Pay 400 shekel. 400 shekel was an exorbitant amount. Today it's not so much 400 shekel, Chadash. In those days, 400 shekel, it's a tremendous amount of money. And he says it in slang, he says, What's 400 shekel between us? Come on, Avram. Shell it over. You're a wealthy dude. What's the slang? Beni Bencha. Why would he say why would he use slang? I bought me a shekel. That's my price. You want to pay ready? Give me four hundred shekel. Why did you have to say Abame Shekel Beni Bencha Mahi? What's four hundred between you and I? Where do you get the number four hundred? So the face it says Beni Ubencha. He says, someone's at the door. Someone at the door. Nobody else reacts, yeah. Oh. My name is Ephraim. Ein Fei Reish Vavnun. So I have Ein Fei and I have Vavnun. That's four letters, and the middle letter is a resh. Your name is Avraham. Huh? Aleph Beis. Resh. Hey, man. Avraham, also a middle letter, is Reish. The gematria of Reish is 200. Your 200 and my 200. Beini, Beincha, your middle letter and my middle letter. Mahi is what? It's 400. 200 and 200 are 400. So therefore, He didn't take a random number. He took it from the gematria of the middle letters of their names. No. <coughs> Let us look at the conversation. First of all, it's very awkward, this conversation. It goes back and forth, and they refer to as different people. Bnei Ches and Iyavus. They were Yavusim or they were Chitim. <clears throat> he speaks to the Bnei Ches about purchasing Maris HaMakpela 
And Pinnacle Rebbe Lezer says, Omar Livne Yovus, Liknes Mehemes, and Marisa Machbele spoke to the children of Yovus, of the town of Yovus, to buy from them Marisa Machbele. In a good price. Because they were Yavusim. If they were Yavusim, they weren't Chitim. They weren't people from Chais. They said to him, Make a pact with us, said the people from Yovos. People from Yovos tell Avram Avinu, Make a pact with us. We'll swing a deal over here. What is the deal? That the Jews will not inherit our, our, our cities. And therefore, when the Jews came to Israel, and they wanted to go into the land of Yovus, they couldn't go in. Why? Because the Yovus said, "We have a pact. Avraham Avinu made a pact. You're not going to come in over our land." Now, ultimately, this is a very random situation here. What do you mean they couldn't take over the land? Because Avraham Avinu swore. Hashem said, take over the land. Vayirashtem is called Yesh Vayaretz. Vyashavtem Ba. Vyashnachaltem is Aretz. Inherit all the... Drive out everybody. All the dwellers. Settle there. And inherit the land. In that case, the commandment of God should nullify the deal that Abraham made. So how come they didn't go in? Truth to be told, according to the din, this promise that Avram made had no validity. Because God's commandment nullifies his, his promise. Still in all, since the Yevusim thought that this Shvur, this promise, this deal, was still in Tekif, was still intact, if the Yidin would not keep to the Shvur, would not keep to the pact, it would be Echel Hashem. Because the Yevusim under the impression it was. Like it says by the Givainim. Although the Givainim fooled the Yidin. But therefore they didn't fight with him. So there would remain here no Kedusha Hashem. More so, since this pact that was made with the Bnei Chetz was a Tanai <coughs> purchasing Marasamach Pelo, and based on the fact that they purchased Marasamach Pelo would be one of the stipulations was that they would not conquer this land. So what are they saying? 
Excuse me. If you're not honoring the promise, then the whole deal's off. The whole deal's off. You have no rights to the land here. Book it. Get out. The Maras Machpela is totally the whole sale nullified. In that case, Avram, Yisak, Yaakov, Sara, Rivke, and Leah are buried illegally. It's in order to be Kedush Hashem, so the Yavusim should not think that when Avram Avinu made a pact in Maras Machpela, so until this was removed, like it says in Pirkei until this notion was removed from them, the attacker didn't go in. They're able to justify the notion and, and renege on the notion of the Shvuah, thereby not making the Chil Hashem and not causing that they should renege on the ideal of the sale, Therefore, they did not go into the land. Leila Tov. Speaking of people conquering lands, people that developed, that received a phenomenal reputation for doing what they did, and the end of their lives were not so sweet. One such person was the general Arik Sharon, Ariel Sharon. Ariel Sharon was a very, very, very respected military. Force. He came. He got the elected to be a liaison to go around representing Israel. Yeah, and he came to America, and he met Yitzchak Gansberg, and Rabbi Gansberg became friendly with him. Rabbi Gansberg got him to go into Yechidus. Private audience with the Rebbe. His schedule, needless to say, was packed. So Ariel Sharon said, you know what? <laughs> the Rebbe, a nice old Jewish man, he and I probably have nothing in common to talk about. He wants to keep his good friend Rabbi Gansberg he wants to keep him happy. He's okay. I'll go in. I'll go into the Rebbe for a few minutes. I'll get a blessing. And maybe he knows how to say Shalom in Hebrew. And I'll feel important. He'll feel nice. He'll feel he patronized me. And he came right there. He came into the Rebbe. And he sees Take. Almost, his picture is almost right. The picture that he depicted of this nice, venerable rabbi. But he ran into a little problem. The rabbi started to talk to him about the security of Eretz Yisrael. 
And um, he said, okay, maybe he knows a word or two. The Rebbe started to mention things that only top secret generals know these stories. Mm-hmm. And the Rebbe was discussing things of the security of Israel that was standing up the hair on the back of his neck. Then the Rebbe said, I'm very, very disappointed in the fact that in the Six Day War we lost eight soldiers, when they conquered the city Kalakia. Sharon immediately remembered the the situation, the scenario, and he told the Rebbe there was no choice. We had to go through a valley, and they ambushed us. Unfortunately, there were casualties. And the Rebbe said, no. You could have gone the other way. You could have come through the city from another entrance. Another side. And the Rebbe, with his finger, drew a map, practically, of the whole scenario. Sharon's eyes bugged out, as we say in America. As if the Rebbe was looking at the the war map. And the Rebbe was 100% right. Had they gone the way the Rebbe said, they would have no casualties. So the Rebbe, when he said that he's angry that they lost those eight men, he saw the Rebbe really meant it. No, but... <laughs> As they're talking, instinctively, Sharon looks at his watch. <laughs> He thought five minutes went by. This is watches over a half hour. And the Rebbe says, what are, you, what are you looking to watch for? He tells the Rebbe, honestly, I have a plane to catch. The Rebbe says, it's not the only plane going to the show. You won't catch it, you get next one. Epkin and Bebkin with the Rebbe started to talk to him and he felt like he was talking to one of his colleagues. Like he was talking to one of the people, one of his under underlings in the, in the army. Mamish felt like they, they were discussing war plans. And the Rebbe knew every little thing, every detail. They sat several hours. And finally, it was early morning when the Rebbe finally told him a signal to him or blessed him so he noticed that the Rebbe was telling him goodbye and um, <coughs> and uh, he came out and he told him how fascinated he was how the Rebbe's knowledge the vast knowledge of what goes on in Ezra's cell. <laughs> then, he spoke to his aides, who then found him a next flight out, which was a few hours later. He got back to Ezra's cell, 
He went to Kfar Chabad a few weeks, or two weeks later. He went to Kfar Chabad by Fabrengen. He said, I have to tell you, I went into Yechidus by the Rebbe. And the Rebbe held me up. And I don't like getting held up. I have a man of, I'm a man of schedule, of minutes. Every minute counts, and I have to be exactly where I have to be in every minute. But the Rebbe held me up. Not only the Rebbe held me up, he made me miss my flight. When I arrived in Etzisel, I found out. He told this story in Kfachabad. The flight that I was on, that I was meant to be on, in mid-flight, four men got up with guns and took over the plane. They said, they're going to hijack the plane. And they were looking for somebody. And they kept saying, he's very important and we need to catch him. We need to take him. They were looking for somebody very important. Which to them would have been me. And I was supposed to be on that plane. But the Rebbe didn't let me on the plane. Because the Rebbe didn't let me on the plane. I was saved, I was spared from this plan. We see that every minute is calculated where a person needs to be, how and when he needs to be there. The Rebbe's Dachana, the Rebbe's mother, was the Rebbe's Yakutrinislav, and her husband, Rebbevik, was a very, very strong man, staunch in his belief in Yiddishkeit, would not falter any which way, form, or fashion. Ultimately, was exiled to Almata which she followed him there. She made him ink for his writings. She made him pens. He spoke about her above Tishrei, her yard side. One year for Tishrei, the month of Tishrei, she was here in New York already. She had a guest by her fetiche, a woman that she knew from France. Anyway, the woman was a guest here in Crown Heights. She went to the davening in 770 by the Rebbe. She observed the Rebbe, her bringings. She had a very full, inspiring, beautiful yomtif. Unfortunately, as Tisha ended and she was ready to return back to France, she told the Rebetzin, Yamta was really beautiful, thank you very much, but I don't really have anything to tell the people back home. I'm going back to France, and I have nothing really to say 
a story, a, a something that really happened that I saw or heard. So the Rebetzin said to her, Rebetzin said, I'll tell you a story. On Simchas Teira, she said, the Rebbe was fabrenged. My son was fabrenged. When the Rebbe fabrenged, there were hundreds and hundreds of people sitting in front of him. And the women were up in a, in a ladies' section up on top. But yet, everybody was able to hear the Rebbe's voice. No microphone. Shabbos, Yom Tov. The Fabrengans with microphones during the week. But Shabbos, Yom Tov, Fabrengans obviously with no microphone. And yet you were able to hear the Rebbe everywhere in 770. Obviously the silence, the quiet. If anybody coughed or sneezed, everybody in Shul heard it. But you had a few hundred people or even thousands of people sitting by that Fabrengan and you were able to hear in the ladies section every word. Abdul said, I was sitting in the ladies section and uh, there were two Israeli girls there. They were obviously not religious, not from unfortunately. And these not from girls were sitting or they were chatting a little bit, they were whispering to each other. And finally they stood quietly for a few minutes. And as they stood quietly, the one of the girls said to the other one, Die. Enough. The Rebison said she understood what they were saying to each other in Hebrew. And they said, she said to her, Die enough, I had enough, I'm ready to go. And the other one answered, you know what, at Sodeket, you're right, I'm also ready to go, but I can't. So why can't you? He said, he's not letting me. He's not letting me leave. Now obviously the Rebbe was not holding her hand. The Rebbe was in the men's section, she was up in the ladies' section. But the Rebbe had such a grip over her, that she knew that she could not leave. So we see, therefore, how the Rebbe has his way to get and to bless each and every one of us. And now, today, even more than ever, Tonight, Baruch Hashem, there was a CM Sifri Tera. There were six or seven Sifri Tera brought into 770 tonight. All completed at once. They were completed in the yeshiva on, on Eastern Parkway, Ali Tera. And they were brought to 770. Beautiful, beautiful music, torches, and, and um, dancing. The true joy of Achnas Sefetera. Hundreds of people dancing in the streets, live music. It's amazing. Kitzer, it was a beautiful thing. 
a beautiful experience. Baruch Hashem, I believe everybody in the community made an effort to come out. One of my children, one of my sons, was there with his three little girls, three-year-old and the twin three-month-olds, and we get to 770, and he's carrying his three-year-old on his shoulders, and she says to her father, I have to go into the Rebbe's room. The Rebbe's room generally is locked. It's not it's, it's used by davening. People come to daven there sometimes on Shabbos, Yom Tif, sometimes during the week, on special days, special times. Generally, the Rebbe's room, Rebbe, Rebbe's room is locked and nobody just wanders into the Rebbe's room. This is the room, the special, special holy room where the Rebbe held private audiences, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of blessings. That very room where we just talked the story, told the story of Arik Sharon. My son said, okay, he's going to humor her. He'll take her into 770. I guess he figures to show her the room is locked and uh, shalom. Much to his surprise, one of the people that have a key to the room must have had an old friend here because we have the Kinnis HaShluchim this week. So we have Shluchim emissaries of the Rebbe all over the world here. And he was letting that person in. And my three-year-old granddaughter asked no questions. And she went right past them and through the open door into the Rebbe's room. She went into the Rebbe's room looking for the Rebbe. She was complaining to me afterwards she didn't see the Rebbe. But she knows the Rebbe gave her a bracha. And this is, in essence, a lesson for all of us. The Murab Shuta of a child that knows the Rebbe is there, knows that's where she has to go for a bracha from the Rebbe. We'll turn to the end of the Pasha, actually, close to the end. Rivka is now brought back to Yitzchak, to Avram. She's here. Says the Tater, Vaivia Yitzchak Ayala Sara Yimei. Brought into the tent of Sarah's mother. This is chapter 24, verse 67. Chavdal Zayin. Rashi says, Brought into the tent, Sarah's mother. Claim him. What's mean, what is it teaching us? It makes an example of Sarah the mother. What happened by Sarah? She calls man, she Sarah Kayemis, as long as Sarah was alive, the candles were lit from burnt from one out of Shabbos to the next. 
Another thing, Bracha Metsuya Be'isa. There was a blessing in her dough, Sarah's dough. The Anan Kashur El and the Anana Kovid was hovering, constantly tied, bond, bound onto the tent. Mishemesa Pasku. When Sarah passed away, all this stopped. Shabasa Rivka Chazru. Rivka came. This all returned. How did he see this? How did he notice this? And where did he derive this from? There's a halacha. If there's no woman in the house, the husband lights. The man in the house has to light. When Sarah passed away, the obligation fell on Avram to light the candles. Yitzchak. And they noticed that it's not like by Sarah. When Sarah lit the candles, they burnt the whole week. From Shabbos to Shabbos. And by them, it doesn't. It lasts a few hours. First of all, we have to understand what was the connection. How did, how did Rashi actually see these connections to Rivka and Sarah with these three miracles? Mm-hmm. Simply speaking, Rashi has a question. When the Pasuk says, to the tent, to her tent of Sarah, his mother, these words are superfluous. It would have made more sense to say, Yitzchak took Rivka and married her. Why? He brought her to his mother's tent. What do these words add in our understanding of this Pasuk? So Rashi therefore takes these words, And he says the only explanation could be why these words are here. Why did he bring Yit Rivka to Sarah's tent? Does it work? So the charge is there. Excuse me, the same place took the phone from the charges there. So what is he teaching us with these extra words? They're teaching us the reason that Yitzchak took Rivka as a wife. Aside from the whole story that Eliezer told him, wonderful, wonderful story, Rivka, her, her, her beauty and her edelkeit and her fineness and everything, and how she gave water and she all the beautiful stories that we hear that are repeated in the Torah twice. 
when he saw these miracles happened, that's when he knew that Rivka was the right one. Therefore, Rashi explains, what are the words Ha'ela Sarah Imei to the tent of Sarah, his mother? Each and every word is hinted another miracle, which teaches us and proves to us that Yitzchak compared Sarah to Rivka. The word Ha'ela her tent, Oil Bashem, Oil Bo, is a hint to the miracle that's tied with Oil that's special and separate from all other tents. What was the miracle that happened with the tent? The cloud connected to the tent. We find already. Hamokim with the hey idea, like Ha'ilah with the hey, is that the kasher, the Yanan was kasher with the thing. It's in the same place, the top drawer, that open thing is the charge of it. Sara, why Ha'ilah Sara? Sara hints on a special miracle to Sara. We learned already that when the Malachim came to visit Avram, even though Avram was busy with preparations for the angels himself, mm. the dough was made by Sarah. Mm. The dough itself was made by, I need that back here. And therefore when it says Sarah, it refers to the concept of Sarah's bracha that was found in the dough. Emoi, switch back. Sorry. Sara Imei. Sara refers to the dough. Imei hints to the miracle that happened especially for Ima, which was the candles that she lit from Shabbos to Shabbos. In essence, though, we still don't have a reason why Rashi switches around the order of the three miracles. Because really the truth is the Ner Doluk is the last of the three. The story really here is through the miracles, special miracles that happened that Rivka came into the house of the life of Yitzchak just like his mother, because in hard Sitka, Savrivka, first Rashi says, Ner Dalek made of Shabbos and of Shabbos, the candle was lit, because that shows mitzvahs, a mitzvah. 
That was done through Rivka, a mitzvah that she herself did. Then continuing to that was the fact that her dough was risen, and more so, the fact that later when she got married, she kept Tadus HaMeshpacha. The fact that Sarah had opened doors from all sides and the different type of Achnas Erchem these are things already that Eliezer repeated. But since the miracle of Ner Dolok took place by Rivka and Rivka's light candles remained lit from one Shabbos to another this took place before she married Yitzchok. And we know that Rivka was three years old. From here we learn that a girl from the age of three or even before that should light Shabbos candles. You found the wire? Plug it in. Should be lighting Shabbos candles every week. From here we also see and this also brings down from Kehillah's Kedusha Yisrael. Not only the mother that carries Abayis lights, but even the youngest girls. This therefore is a hint in the order that first was Nerdaluk. First and most important thing was the candle being lit as children of Rivka Imenu. And the Maral Prague explains that these three miracles that are brought down in Rashi are connected to three mitzvahs that are connected to the woman. Ner Dolok is Adlakas Haner. Bracha Metsuya Beisa is Afrashas Chala. And Onan Pshur Ema'el is Tadis HaMishpacha. Because then on a COVID, the Shkina rests in a house with his Kedusha and Tahara. Therefore, Sarah was careful with all these different mitzvahs. And she was zeichet to the Anana covet. Therefore we see now that Rashi's order is more fit. Because this is how the Basi soul keeps these mitzvahs. First thing is the Kiyah Mitzvah which is Neodolik from Erev Shabbos, Erev Shabbos. As you mentioned before, that he started with education of the child at a very, very small age. She should light candles like Rivka lit. After that, there's even greater than this, is to help to help out in the house. The girl gets older, she has to help out at home. And then she can be Makai in the mitzvah of Rosh Hashanah. After a while, she gets married, she keeps the mitzvahs of Tarot Samishpacha. Then I've finished off, be the will of the Almighty, that in the schus of Kiyam Mitzvah Sadlokas Nader Shabbos, we should merit to the kiyam of the Chazal tell us in Shamartem Neidah Shal Shabbos and in Marlechem Neidah Shal If you will keep the mitzvah of Neir Shabbos, I will show you the candles of Tziyayin, of Zion, Bimheira Vimeinu. And this Shabbos we should all see the light candles being lit in Yerushalayim, Irak Shabbat Shalom. Oh.